So, as we know, we took a part, uh, break from the Gospel of John. If you're visiting today, we've been in the Gospel of John for several months. We'll go back to that in January. And I was doing a, a, a it ends up going to be a four-part Christmas series. We did peace last week, joy and rejoicing today, love on Christmas Eve, and then hope after that. So just typical words that are associated with Christmas. I wanted to bring a context why those words are important. So today is on joy. So I asked the staff, I regularly, we have staff meetings on Wednesday, about 1.30, and I regularly bring some aspect of my message to the staff meeting to, to use it as a devotional or to get some advice, get some illustrations. And so I asked them today, I said, I asked them this week, what is the difference between joy and happiness? So think about that, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Elena immediately popped up and said, happiness is circumstantial, but joy is eternal. I want you to keep that in mind for the rest of this message. I'll come back to it a couple times. Happiness is circumstantial. Your circumstance, it can come and go. But there's a joy from the Lord that your circumstances can't take away. Keep that in mind as we move forward here. So look, look what Jesus, what was proclaimed about Jesus in his birth. Good news of great joy. So let's go to Luke chapter 2. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, start in verse 8. We read this last week as we talked about peace. Now we're going to read it to talk about joy. In Jesus' birth, we proclaim this good news of great joy. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now look up on the screen for that. I bring you good news of great joy. It's a very, it's a very short saying in English and in Greek. The idea of I bring you good news is really one word, and it's, it's the word we usually translate preach the gospel. So this is the word that I bring you the gospel that results in great joy. Because that's my interpretation of it. I bring you good news of great joy, or I bring you a gospel message that's gonna result in great joy. And what is that message? He goes on. And this will be, um, for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There is the gospel, it's the heart of the gospel. The son of David, Born in the city of David, Jesus David's great, 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 great grandchild. He's called a savior. Save you from what? Hello? Ultimately, we're going to learn from the scriptures your sins. That, that which holds you captive. Both, we'll come back to that. Who is Christ, which is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So that was last week's message on peace. But today I want to take this idea that at the birth of Jesus was proclaimed a message, a gospel message that results in great joy. And just like last week when I asked you, do you have that peace that comes from Christ? Have you experienced that joy? Just like last week, we went from Jesus' birth to his resurrection. We're going to go to John 16 first, though. 
Jesus teaching to his disciples on joy. This is, joy is part of the heart of the gospel. By the way, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the optional one, self-control. <laughs> yeah, that's sad. Did I miss one? Nice disclaimer, yes, I know. So, so let's read John 16 here as we talk about what Jesus says about joy. Because the same context we read last week, Jesus said about peace. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while we will not see you. And again, a little while we will see you see me again. And because I am going to the Father. The context here is Jesus just talked about the fact that he's going away. He's going to be crucified. But when he goes to the Father, he'll send the Holy Spirit who will be with them forever. He even says, and Jesus said this, he said, it's better that I go away. It's better for you that I go away because if I go away, I send the Spirit to you. So Jesus' belief in teaching was that having the Holy Spirit in you is a better thing than having Jesus sitting next to you. Sometimes I wonder in our materialistic, naturalistic world if we really believe that. That's the context here. The Holy Spirit's coming. So they were saying... What does this mean a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you were asking about? What I meant by saying a little while you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered her baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Is that true, ladies? Mixed, mixed there. She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. Referring to the fact that their Savior is going to be murdered in a few days from him saying this. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. That's Elena's definition of eternal joy. By the way, you see there, your hearts will rejoice, rejoice is a verb, and no one will take your joy from you. The joy is the noun, they're related. And it's multiple times in our passages, they will say rejoicing, a verb, an action we do, joy, a state of being we have. So. In John 20, at the resurrection, when Jesus appears to the disciples, he said, it says this, after he said this, after he said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So their sorrow, why they, remember they're in a room locked because they're afraid of the Romans or the Jewish guards coming to get them. And Jesus appears in the room without going through the door, without going through an open door. He just appears. Peace be with you. And then their response is, and they were overjoyed. So the joy that Jesus promised, now you have sorrow. Now you're weeping. There's grief. But soon you will have great joy. So this is the beginning of something. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit after he sends to the Father, and joy now is their permanent possession. These disciples had seen the resurrected Lord. What do you think was flooding their mind at that moment? Remember the fear they're in. 
Is not almost always death final? So when someone you love dies, there's a finality to it. They had this foreboding sense of failure. They had failed their Lord at the cross, and they abandoned him in his trial. That's what they're sitting with. But yet he's alive. He appears to them. Imagine the emotional shift at that moment. Nothing will ever be the same again, and no one will take this joy away from you. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is eternal. But let's dive in a little deeper. What is joy? I mentioned to you the two primary nouns, or two primary words have a form of a noun and a form of a verb. And they mean to exult, to greatly, to rejoice greatly, to be overjoyed, to be in a state of happiness and well-being. But the definition that I chose for the noun joy is the experience of gladness. Okay, I want you to think about that. The experience of gladness. Think of some times in your life, in circumstances, with not, not talking in terms, just talking about things in your life that all of a sudden you go, oh, this is wonderful, I feel so good. What are some of those? Talk to me. Snow. After a year of drought, yes. Until you got to shovel it, and then the sorrow comes in. So others, what is the experience of joy in your life? Your family coming. Did I hear grandbabies? Someone say grandbabies? Yeah, that's what um, my first grandchild, I got an email that said, um, grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your children. <laughs> so um, definitely joy. Um, think of these. The birth of my children, all of them. There's this sense of, of joy you can't explain. It's an experience. How about getting that job you always wanted? You don't like your job, but you wanted to work there, and all of a sudden, the opening comes, and there's this job that you've always wanted. Is there not a sense of, of gladness in you, an experience of gladness? How about falling in love? How about when someone else falls in love with you? The person you want to fall in love with you. Is there not incredible gladness in that? The opposite of this joy is sorrow, grief, deep disappointment. We all know those too. There's also this word that's rejoice. See, joy is a noun. It's a state of being, an experience of gladness. But verbs are action. So from that experience of gladness comes an action, rejoicing. And I want to spend a few moments on this. The idea of rejoicing is in the scriptures is verbal. It's singing is one of the main areas that comes out. It's shouting. It's, it's, it's one of the verbs that's used to translate is exaltation. It, it, it's, it's being very physical and vocal about the joy inside of you. So, so when, when that guy or girl says to you, I love you, do you not call up your friends and say, especially if you get engaged, what do you do when you get engaged? You come in with what, ladies? The ring, and you want to show off because you're exulting, you're verbal about it.
All those things can go away, though. They're circumstantial. The child might rebel against you. And those of you with small children, um, pray for that day. That it's minimal. Also, remember what you did when you were a teenager. Your dream job might go away. Might be layoffs. You might get fired. That joy now turns to mourning. You might hear the words, I'm not in love with you anymore. The circumstance of that love can be reversed. All these have powers outside of you that you cannot control. The joy Jesus talks about refers to what he has done for you on the cross and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the promises that come with a future with him. I want you to think about that. The past, what Jesus has done for you on the cross. He came and he assumed our sin. He became sin that we might become righteousness. So our joy of our salvation is the fact that Christ has come. He became like you and me in order to pay the price for us. It's a past tense thing. The joy Jesus talks about is a present tense thing. The Spirit is in me to empower me, to guide me, to teach me. That's a source of joy. And there's this future event called the second coming when Jesus Christ returns and completes my salvation. And many passages of scriptures on both hope and joy refer to that day. That Christ will finish what he started in you. And all the stuff in between may be difficult, but there's a joy that remains through all the pains of life because we know these truths. This is the joy that causes us to rejoice and exult in the Lord. And for me... I express this joy through singing and whistling. I want to talk about whistling first. If you know me, I whistle all the time. It's subconscious. I don't even know I'm doing it, truly. I walk through the hallways here constantly whistling. And what I whistle is, isn't a choice usually. It just comes out. Sometimes I'm whistling things nobody should whistle. I remember one time going down the church halls whistling a song by Kiss. I have no idea why. Something came up from long ago that shouldn't have come up. But just a couple weeks ago, I was whistling, and um, that same beautiful, wonderful Elena, that d definition of joy, I get a text from her as I'm whistling. I don't know I'm whistling. I should have brought my phone and read it to you. She says, we're recording in here. Would you mind not whistling? <laughs> so I understood, though I came back with my wonderful, gracious snarkiness, that if you don't want me to whistle the song that is in my heart, I will stop. <laughs> and um, that was just being mean. But I've always loved singing. I've always loved singing. I don't sing well. I, I think I sing horrible. My wife sing, says I sing just fine, so it's probably in the middle somewhere. But as a teenager, you know, in the 70s and all the rock and roll music, you know, um, Aerosmith and Doobie Brothers, um, the songs, I can still sing them all today. I got them all in my head. Um, I love them. Um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, um, Simon and Garfunkel, these songs that, that when they come on the radio, I know them all, and I love to sing them out. Then I became a Christian, and that love for singing continued. And now, singing to the Lord. And in the early, late 70s, early 80s, um, Amy Grant, John Michael Talbot, Keith Green, all these people, if you've been around as long as I have, all these people, their music brought me incredible joy that I joined in in rejoicing to our God through singing. 
But I have a question for you. And I've been thinking about this a lot and talking to different people in our leadership here. Um, I sense today in this church there's not as much exuberance on singing. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's not a guilt trip. I just, I don't understand it. One reason I sit up front is because I have to come up here and talk. Another reason, though, is I like to sing loud. I don't want to bother you. <laughs> so I bother the people on stage. But I want to encourage you to, to learn to step out of that discomfort. If there's a joy of the Lord in you, to sing that to him in salvation. So come on up, Al. Back in those days, there was this thing we would do. We would do it for, for it seemed like hours. We would sing. And all these young Christians, and there was a thing called singing in the round. And um, you'd start over here, and you'd sing a line, and then you'd pick this up, and you'd pick it up. And we would do that, and it was beautiful. Everyone sang. So I'm going to take a huge risk. I may get fired for this. But we're going to sing a few songs in the round. Acapella. Acapella? And, okay, if you want to do that, that, that covers things. That covers my voice. But actually, actually, now I'm going to really mess with Julie. Julie, come on up, Julie. Oh, come on, come on, Julie. There's this one song I want to do. It's called Rejoice in the Lord. How many of you remember singing in the round where they would do different people? Okay. And do you know the song? Rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to do this? Yes, we are. Okay. So you, you follow me, you follow Al and Julie, if you go over there, and you follow Julie. I think I got the winning side. What do you think? Are we going to do the best? I think so. So this, this if, if you mess up, who cares? Here's the point. Here's the point. If there's some inhibition to raising your voice to the Lord, um, Step out of that now, um, because it's an opportunity in two things, to retell God how wonderful he is to us, and we do it together. And there's some kind of, for me, a spiritual energizing when you're singing and I'm listening, or I'm singing with you, and the volume of our voices goes up. There's something that just takes me to him. So let's do this as his people, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Let's do this, okay? So we'll start. You guys follow Al, you guys follow Julie. I, I see nervousness here big time. Well, they, they, they can't believe for the first time in however many years you've been here, you actually sang today. A whole song. Hey, by the way, he called me on the phone and he said, Julie's in the car and he started singing me on the phone. I'm going, man, who is this, man? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Rejoice in the Lord always. Stand up. And I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. 
Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Oh, keep going. Now. Now let's do the wave. Y'all start here. No, I'm joking. How about this one? Here's another, here's another way. Is that you don't have to know the song. I'm going to sing a line. Whatever I sing, you sing back to me, okay? Ready? The blood flowed. The blood flowed. And covered me. And cover me and wash me and wash me whiter than snow, whiter than snow, and cleanse me and cleanse me that I may be that I may be holy, holy as God is. As God is, He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. I think one of the things Tony was talking about. Just listen to us sing. Just listen to us. Remember, I said, "How do you think Jesus feels?" Yeah. The Lord feels when Jesus hears us. Here it is. This is for you. I think he even like rejoicing the Lord. I, I think he liked that one too. But um. Do one more. Do one more. One if you have another one. Um, again, uh, sing the sing the words with me. Watch. I'll sing this line. Watch. He is worthy. Sing that. He is worthy. Okay. Here's what happens. I'll sing three lines, and you echo the three lines back. And the fourth line, we all sing together. He is worthy. Okay. The Lamb. Is worthy. The lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. The lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive honor. Receive honor and the glory. Glory and the blessing and the blessing. He is worthy. The, the Lamb who was slain. 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 The blood flowed. The blood flowed. Cover me and wash me and wash me whiter than snow, whiter than snow, and cleanse me and cleanse me that I may be that I may be holy, holy as God is. Holy, holy, holy.
Thank you very much, you guys. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Go, go ahead and be seated. That was as much for me as for you, so I mean that. Thank you very much. I hope that we can all learn to verbalize our joy. Interesting, in the Old Testament, my studies this week, I came across an article online written by a Hebrew scholar. And my, I remember my, professor in, my Hebrew professor in seminary also taught this. He mentioned five words. This guy online mentioned seven words. But the seven common words in the book of Psalms about worship and praise are all designed to be out loud. The people of God worship out loud to honor him. So I just leave that with you, not as any kind of guilt trip that you're not doing it right, but as a way of um, encouragement. Let's step into it. It encourages one another and it honors God. So, your joy. Is your joy unextinguishable? Is your joy unextinguishable? So think about it. Your circumstances, are they taking away your joy of the Lord? Or in your circumstances, you maintain it? Listen to what Jesus said in John 16, 22. You, you, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Have circumstances robbed you of that eternal joy? No one can take it from you, but evidently we can give it up. Listen to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. This is what Habakkuk says about his circumstance and his joy. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines. Remember, this is an agricultural um, society. Nor the fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's, and he makes me tread on my high places. Then interesting, the next line, what does it say? It was meant to be sung. Habakkuk wrote this so the choir master would put music to it. So they would sing, it doesn't matter my circumstances, I'm going to sing to the Lord. So though my child breaks my heart, Though I just got let go from the dream job and can't pay the bills anymore, and though the woman I love prefers someone else, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength, and he makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my high places. That's the way we approach it. Most of you, if you know me any time, you know that I'm divorced and remarried. And... But I don't really talk much about what happened there. Um, it's, you know, it's past 16 years ago. Um, but I, w I wanted to tell you part of the story today. Because during that time, I allowed that circumstance, which was horrendous, to rob me of my joy of the Lord. It was, I remember the day, December 5th, 2005, I have come home, I was teaching at a college in Reno, teaching at a Bible college, I came home about 10 at night, and all my wife's possessions were gone. 
Her clothes was gone, her, everything, her computer, everything. That's the first thing I noticed, the computer in the bedroom was gone. I'm looking around and everything is gone. I look at the pillow and there's a letter on the pillow to me. And in that letter, it was, it was almost a four-page handwritten letter, just describing her plight and her depression and all that, which I knew well. But long and the short was, I love you, Tony, but I'm not in love with you anymore. I'm in love with somebody else. And that put me over an edge of discouragement, deep depression, and utter lack of joy. I, I'm one of those people that's typically up. I really am. I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of up guy. I don't, I don't get down much. Um, and when people would come to me for counseling that they were depressed, I didn't say it out loud very often. What I wanted to say was, get over it. Um, not understanding depression at all, obviously. Well, now I did. And the result to get rid of my depression was she had to come back. My pastor at the time, I was the associate pastor at Grace Church in Dan Frank. I'm, I'm shortening a very long story. I told him one time, when, when the final came down, divorce papers are on the way. It didn't mean to hurt you, but the marriage is over. I remember telling Dan, Dan Frank, I'll never be happy again. And he says, Tony, that's a lie. God is too good for that. He has good purposes for you. I said, I know the theology, Dan, I teach it. It doesn't apply to me because I have to have her to be happy. About four months into that, I woke up one morning and the cloud was gone. The knot in my stomach had disappeared. The sunshine was out, metaphorically, and I was walking down. The, I, I, was, I was put on leave of absence from work, but I was going every day because I didn't want to be at home. And I walked in there, and one of my coworkers named Leah said, it's good to hear you whistling again because the joy was back. God had healed me. Two months later, I met Teresa. And I can say today, I've never been happier in my entire life that I am being married to Teresa. But the bigger important thing here is, please, the bigger important thing here is, it taught me a lesson. Why would I allow a horrible circumstance? And I would suggest to you, I'm not sure what I could go through worse. Why would I allow that to diminish the joy of my salvation? That I was an enemy of God, according to Romans chapter five. But right there, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but in spite of that, God loved me and sent his son to die for me. He not only removed my status as enemy, he made me his child. He put me in his son to where I died on the cross with him. I was buried. I was raised. I was given the Holy Spirit, and this applies to all of us, to walk a new life that never ends. That's the source of the joy of the Lord. So whatever our circumstances are, and sometimes they can be horrendous, we cannot allow them to mute or silence the testimony of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in us for who we are in Christ. Can I get a louder amen? Amen.
going to give you a few verses here. Then we're going to do communion. 1 Peter chapter 1. On the screen, it's going to start in verse 5. But Elaine, I should have told you this. I'm going to start in verse 3. So listen to the first two verses about our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, blessed means what? You bless him. You verbally say, you're incredible. Well, why should we say that to God? Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Now on the screen. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your salvation is not complete yet. It's ready to come in the last time. God's working that salvation in you. In this you, what does it say? In this you rejoice. In this salvation that is waiting for you in heaven, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These guys were being persecuted. They were being persecuted by their family, their culture, their co-workers, for leaving their paganism and following Jesus, or leaving their, their Jewish background and following Jesus. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials in our life, whether it is you get sick with COVID, or whether your spouse says she loves somebody else. All those are instruments of God. I'm not saying caused by God, but instruments of God to mature you and strengthen your faith so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, did I just read this? I'll do it again. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor for him, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Look at that phrase. You rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And at one translation says indescribable. A joy that's so deep. See, there's a passage in Romans chapter 8, 26 that says, sometimes our pain is so great we don't know how to pray. And what does the Holy Spirit do? In that pain, prays for us. Well, there's a joy here that's equally inexpressible. It is so profound and so deep of who I am in Christ and what he's done for me, no matter my circumstances of being persecuted or sick or whatever's going on in our life, there's this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And the outcome... We obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're on a journey, folks. We're on a journey from being dead in our sins and enemies of God to being made alive and made his children, objects of his love. And now he's working in us every day, Christ-like characteristics. And his, his, as Al just saying, his holiness is being worked in us. And someday when Christ returns, it will be complete. In the meantime... We believe in him, though we haven't seen him. And we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, indescribable, and filled with glory. That's what went away from me. But that's what's come back. And I never want it to go away again. And by the way, Jesus says no one can take it from you. But I can choose 
to not believe in it anymore. I have more, but we're just going to stop here. Stand up. Let's stand up and pray. Father, give us, give us eyes to see this joy that we're, you've given to us, Lord, that cannot be taken away from us. In the midst of whatever pain we are in now, any circumstances that are out of our control, whether it is family members, job, illness, whatever, relationships, Father, whatever it is, help us to realize these kind of things come and go in life. It's part of living in a fallen world. And though as painful as they can be, there's a joy that comes from you. There's a joy that comes from your spirit in us. There's a joy that comes from the fact that Christ so loved me, he gave up his life to make me his own that it is inexpressible, indescribable, and can never be taken away. God, fill us with that joy for your glory. These things we pray for Jesus, his sake, his glory. In his name we pray to you. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to, as the ushers come up to the tables for communion, I want to introduce communion. With a couple passages I don't normally read for communion. I want to reread Peter's description of our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Christ's death brought a salvation to us that there is an end result of this salvation that is with Christ in heaven and when he's revealed that ultimate glory will be revealed to us. Now I want to read to you the passage we're going to talk about on Sunday, excuse me, Friday at Christmas Eve service. If I could find it. I'm going to stop in verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. You know what? I, I, I am... Oh, no, here it is. That's all right. For the love of Christ compels us. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me read it again to you. For the love of Christ compels us. That's a very important statement, and Sunday we'll flesh this out. What drives me every day? The love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's our commission, to live our lives for Jesus Christ. 
as we come forward to take the communion today, I want you to come and get the bread and the cup and go back to your seats, and we'll partake together in a moment. But what I want running through your head is these elements represent the Savior who became human, became like you and me, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, to give you a new life and a new purpose so we no longer live for ourselves, but for him. So please come forward and get the elements and go back to your seats and we'll take them together.